You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Victoria Schaefer, aspiring actress, babysitter extraordinaire, college student and animal enthusiast, is on her own for the first time in New York City. Follow Victoria and her two dogs, Rue and Echo, as she cares for her furry friends and juggles home life and career, all the while managing to survive in the world's most hectic city. The exciting animal adventures and secret stories from both ends of the leash that make up the Tales of the City. Hey guys, it's Victoria Schaefer, your host of Tales of the City on Pet Life Radio. Today I interviewed Mr. Jim Davis, the creator of Garfield. I remember picking up the daily newspaper growing up and turning right to the Garfield comic strip. I read it, always laughing, and then ran to grab my silly putty. Remember that stuff? The colored putty that came in that little plastic egg? Then I'd stick it right on the page to copy Garfield that day. I could stretch Garfield any which way I wanted, making Garfield fatter or skinnier, blue, pink, red, green. Have you ever seen a skinny blue Garfield? (laughs) So stick around because after this commercial break, Mr. Jim Davis will be answering all the questions I've wondered since my silly putty days. Be right back. Time for a walk in Central Park, of course. We'll be right back with more Tales of the City. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright backings for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Back, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Back today. Dyson, music to your ears. Hi, I'm Dr. Jeff Werber from Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. We want to hear from you. Listen in. We're on every Thursday, 1 o'clock Pacific Time, 4 o'clock Eastern Time here on PetLifeRadio.com. We are here for you. We're trying to make life with your pets even better. I know it's hard to believe that can it even be better than it is, and hopefully it's fantastic already. The goal here is to answer your questions, help you out with your problems, anything you really wanted to know, but maybe you're afraid to ask your veterinarian, or maybe it was just too expensive to go to your veterinarian just to ask a few simple things. So that's what you got me for here at uh, Pet Life Radio. Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Call in. We'll see you here on Thursdays. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm here with Mr. Jim Davis. Hi, Jim. How are you? Doing great. Thank you. Thank you so much for agreeing to speak with me today. Oh, that's not a problem. It's looking forward to it. <laughs> Great, I've been looking forward to it as well. Okay, so let's get right into it then. So I should probably start by asking, which is a question you probably get a lot, where did the inspiration for Garfield come from? I was working on the comic strip Tumbleweeds in 1969 to 1978, uh, Western humor strip, and I was looking around for a good idea for a comic strip, and I, I did a bug strip for five years. I ran it in a local paper. I thought bugs were funny. Nobody else did. <laughs> and finally, <laughs> a 
Syndicate editor said, bugs, nobody can relate to bugs. He said, You're, you know, the gags are funny, the art's okay, but bugs. And so I took a long, hard look at the comics, and I saw dogs doing very well. Snoopy, Marmaduke, Red Bassett, Belvedere, you name it, and uh, no cats. And I thought, ha, if um, dog lovers like dog strips, maybe cat lovers would like to see a cat strip. And I grew up on a farm with a lot of cats, so I knew cats very well. And that, so that was the inspiration. So you had a lot of cats growing up. Did you have a cat of your own once you lived on your own? I didn't have a cat for a long time because growing up on a farm, you know, I I grew up with barn cats and farm dogs. Everybody lived outside or they lived in the barn and they were, you know, healthy. They liked to run in the fields. I I wasn't used to having something in the house, you know. So uh, (laughs) at that point, and that really did affect how I created Garfield, I thought, okay, if he's going to live inside with John, I'm going to make him a human. Garfield is a human in a cat suit. But I felt that dogs basically are dogs. You know what they're thinking, what they're feeling. But cats, by virtue of being so withdrawn, so regal, uh, you don't really know what they're thinking or feeling. And I think people tend to attribute human thoughts and feelings to cats more so than dogs. Mm -hmm. Did you have a dog? Oh, yeah. We had uh, about three dogs and about 25 cats. So (laughs) I'm with them. So did you write and draw all of the Garfield comic strips when you began? Oh, yeah. Did everything from yeah all the writing, the drawing, everything like that. We've Since the company has grown and I'm working on the TV, working with books, working with other products and things like that, I do have assistance helping with the art. I still do all the writing, though. So that's the one thing that's still to this day the most fun thing I do you know, in the whole process is writing the strip. And when I write a strip, I see it at the same time, so I sketch it up. And uh, I do have assistance, so helping there is good or better than I am, which is great because I get to put my name on the strip. <laughs> right. And full of people I've worked with for, oh, 20, 25 years now. Wow. And how do you come up with every story? There's so many that you've come up with and still are. It's an odd process, I guess, looking at it from the outside. It's almost like a working meditation in that Garfield writes his own material. I take dictation. And this is how it works. I I sit back, relaxed, it's quiet, and I visualize Garfield, and I watch him in my head, just like watching a TV set. Now, I can consciously put him in a situation, up a tree, going camping, watching TV. I can do that. But from then on, Garfield does what he pleases, and I, I just watch, and I ask myself, what would he do? Where would he go? What would he say? What would the other characters do and say? And then when it ends in something funny, I back up three frames and cut it off. So I don't write the strip, I edit in the strip, you know, in in that sense. If Garfield can make me laugh, then I know he's going to make the readers laugh as well. That's a great system. And how would you describe Garfield, just in your own terms? What is Garfield to you? Garfield is his own person. He's simply out for those things that we're all out for, and that is food, shelter, and love, pure and simple. He's no more complicated than that, which explains the way we all feel down deep. We'd, we'd love to sleep in. We'd love to eat a little more. And we, you know, <laughs> we'd like to be liked. We just do. And Garfield knows he isn't perfect. He does have the human failings. He is overweight. You know, he has trouble with motivation. He doesn't like Mondays, just like everyone. And you know what? He's cool with that. 
That's okay. He's his own person. I, I think more often than not, when people laugh at a Garfield strip, they're saying, isn't that true? <laughs> so mm-hmm. if I can get people to see themselves in Garfield, why that, that helps develop, I think, the affection for the feature and for the character. Right, the connection. I just hold a mirror to the reader is all I do. That's why I try right. to do it. Anyway. And what about the characters of John and Odie? Where did you get their inspiration from and how would you describe them? Where do you think the connection lies for them? Humor lies in conflict. If everybody looked the same and they all got along, there would be no humor. <laughs> so I uh, subscribe to the contrasts, you know, being funny, the tall, short, fat, thin, smart, stupid, dog, cat. When I created Garfield, he had a a firm set of personality traits. So I consciously created contrast to those. I made John, you know, as as Garfield is opinionated and lazy, I made John easygoing and active. I made Odie a very accepting, not so bright. (laughs) You know, he turns (laughs) three times to lie down, he drinks out of the toilet, but he's nevertheless probably one of the more appealing characters. And where Garfield is very vocal about everything he sees and everything he believes, Odie doesn't even speak at all. And so I just created these contrasts to Garfield's strong personality out from that to create the fodder for the gag. So uh, once you put one character against the other, you get that kind of friction that creates the great storyline. Right. And why do you choose to stick to such a small cast? Are you ever tempted to just throw in another character out of the blue? Now and then I throw a character in, and I never know, but I do watch the fan mail and things like that. Some characters refuse to perform, (laughs) and then (laughs) other characters seem to grow. I mean, I throw them in as a little, you know, cast member, and they get more and more popular. So I never know from that time, but it's, um, I guess that I like to write what I know, and I think readers like to see, they like to see consistency. I'll use uh, Peanuts as an example. You do expect to see Snoopy lying on that doghouse. You know, he's going to dive off. He's going to land in his food dish. And uh, Charlie Brown is never going to kick that football. You know, you count on that. (laughs) And and you say to yourself, yes, you know, there are certain things you can count on in this life. You know, especially these days, you know, as, as rapidly as everything changes. So that's, I feel a responsibility, believe it or not, to kind of lighten things up, to balance the scale against some of the very real and often depressing things going on, whether with the economy or war or anything like that. The worse things might get in the news, the better I like to make things go in the comic strip because people need that kind of entertainment as a balance or to take a a little emotional nap from, you know, reality (laughs) every day. So I I don't do social or political comment. I deal with those things that we all deal with in a less political way, and that's eat and sleep. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And I did read that you, you said you choose to stay further away from politics when you're creating these comic strips. Uh, that's correct. That true? They're not as timely, obviously, if I do something political that it's not going to, I guess it isn't going to resonate with the readers a few years down the road when politics change. And it certainly isn't going to resonate with the international readers. Garfield appears in 111 countries in 28 languages. Wow. um, everybody you know they love cats everywhere though so that works even in certain provinces where they eat cats they still like them (laughs) (laughs) and uh so and they relate certainly with the eating and the sleeping i like for readers to think that garfield lives next door to them 
And the moment I do something with a social or political slant to it, he's going to distance himself from them, you know, geographically or politically or whatever. So we don't need that because Garfield's there to help him lighten up a little bit. He's there to entertain yeah, good. And speaking of the images, because that really is universal uh, when you talk about going internationally with the comic, when did you decide to go from black and white to color? And what sparked that decision? I know it's online and color. And what was that transition like? Actually, I'd worked with color in a limited way on the Sunday pages from the beginning. And the process was, was very limited, a handful of colors to be used, and we had to indicate them mechanically. And then oh, wow. uh, newspapers started printing in color, just a few of them, Denver paper and a couple of international papers. And I saw the opportunity to put something else in the strip, you know, that, that wasn't there before. So we invested in computers and the latest software, and we continue to do that today to get even better effects and nicer colors because color really does spiff up a comic strip. And you can do things with color like control moods. You can have, you know, grays and browns, or you could do, you know, light colors for lighter moods and things like that. So color really does more or less influence the tone of a strip and even the pacing of time. So I love color, and it's something that attracts the kids as well. I've always worked very hard on the Sunday page because it's so large and colorful, and that's a time when a kid spends with his or her parents, you know, reading the, the Sunday comics. So as a result, I actually write two gags for most Sunday pages, and that's one with the words. And uh, if the sentiment's a little bit too subtle or adult for the kids, I will tell another gag with the pictures. And I'll have Garfield kicking Odie or something to make the kids laugh. Something the adults don't even see because they're so busy reading the words. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I love color. And was it difficult in the beginning to make the decision, okay, what color is each character going to be? You know, this I have to commit to these colors. It's a, I mean, it's a commitment. <laughs> it is. And... Believe it or not, I don't think I've ever told anyone this. Garfield is federal yellow. This is one of the more recognizable colors at a distance. This is the color of uh, center lines on highways. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's the color chart. And uh, it was created by the government because this color of yellow is easier to see at a distance. And so I wanted to make Garfield really pop out from the comics page. So I matched the color chart to federal yellow, and that's his color. So, <laughs> so that's uh, your political two cents there. Yeah, I guess so. You got me. <laughs> and then from there, of course, then I, I did some colors that were uh, that would work well with the orange, you know, making uh, Arlene pink and Odie yellow and John shirt blue and things like that. So. Right. And how do you maintain your enthusiasm and your interest over so many years? Do you ever wake up and you're like, oh, I don't know if I can write another one today? <laughs> I think what keeps me going is I'm still trying to get it right. <laughs> I'm still trying to know the character, believe it or not. And I would love to write that one gag that makes the whole world laugh. Someday, some way, I'm going to write a gag that, you know, everybody responds to. So I honestly think uh, the strip's getting funnier. Yeah, I'm working harder at it, you know, on the writing and the timing and doing something with, with the classic humor involving, you know, the, the strong personalities they've developed over the years. But uh, also working with other parts of the program certainly uh, keep me invigorated as well, working with publishing. I got to change hats and uh, work with the toy industry and work with television and, and meet a lot of interesting people. So just the process of 
translating Garfield into other forms of other areas of media is really challenging and uh, keeps me motivated as well. Right. And I'm sure the abundance of fan mail that you get, does that affect your overall input and in what you end up creating? It does. I watch that and I look for those things that uh, resonate with the readers and uh, they let me know. I still sign all the fan letters and uh, I do follow that. It's important. And, and sometimes I get inspiration for uh, what I'm told not to do. Uh, maybe uh, when Garfield started squashing spiders, believe it or not, I heard from the Friends of Arachnids. It's an actual organization. <laughs> they said it was pretty insensitive to squash our arachnid brothers and sisters. And so I immediately uh, did a week of spider squashing in respect to that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so when the comic strip did become a TV series, did you recruit a ton of people to help? What was that process like? There were two TV series. One we're doing right now, it's on Cartoon Network, that's all CGI. But back in the early days with the traditional animation, I worked with uh, Bill Melendez Studios. He did all the Peanuts specials as well. And uh, it was great fun. We spent an entire day, you know, just looking for the perfect Garfield voice and finally found Lorenzo Music, who has that rare ability to deliver a line in a very lazy way, but do it with great <laughs> timing, as if he didn't care, but he still makes you laugh. And uh, so with that, we were able to build a great cast of voice characters. And for seven years, we had so much fun writing the shows. I, I worked on all the treatments and worked with Mark Evanier on the writing. And Mark still writes the TV shows today. He's out of California. And then not only did the cast become good friends over time, but we got to work with a lot of great voice talent. You know, a lot of actors came in who liked, liked to, who, you know, some were famous actors and who liked to do voices. And, you know, so we had great fun. So I think it's easier in a way, believe it or not, to do animation, to write for animation than it is to write for the comic strip. I only get about seven inches of space to do in 25 words or less a complete gag. Set a situation up, twist it, and resolve it in a funny way. Freeze framing the characters with just the right expression to get the gag timed out right. Whereas in TV, I get to use the voices. We get 20 minutes to work with. We get sound effects, music, action to do the whole physical gags with. We get all kinds of tools to use that we don't get in the comic strip. So in many ways, I think the TV writing was, was easier and certainly more fun in that I got to follow some stories through, build some relationships that I didn't get the chance to. I don't have the luxury to do in the newspaper. Right. So is it safe to say that you like creating Garfield for television more than comics? Or will your love always be with comics? Always with the comic, because I get to do that every day. That's one that it goes into books and I get to read them again. And so the, there is obviously things I could do, I guess, in the comic strip, because I do 365 of them a year that uh, there isn't yeah. time to, you know, in, in the TV. But uh, I have more control over the comic strip. See, cartoonists would probably be stand-up comics if we were only funnier. But we got all day to think of one funny thought. <laughs> and, then, and then we set the set, we costume the characters, we direct it, you know, and we get to do everything. So really, we're, in a way, we're kind of TV producers in a very, very, very limited stage. <laughs> right. So are you surprised today when you see Garfield on the shelf, on the lunchbox, as a toy, of how popular and how big of a phenomenon Garfield has come? Did you think yeah. that that was going to happen when you first created him? No. My hope was to do the strip for a few years and get it built up to where 
uh, hopefully I get to do some books. And then, who knows, maybe 10 years down the road, maybe a doll. That was the big dream. <laughs> and, uh, what happened was, I think that Garfield said a few things that people wish they could say if they had the courage. And by that, I mean, you know, I hate Mondays. I'd like mornings better if they started later. Things like that, that people wanted to like wear on t-shirts or have on their coffee mugs because they didn't have the courage to admit it, but they'd let Garfield say it before. <laughs> and uh, we uh, actually got those requests early on. We go, wow, we have something here that, you know, would work in, on products. And so, and I saw an opportunity too to entertain in, in books, certainly, and on posters and things like that and say some things that I didn't have the space to or the, the right colors or anything to work with in, in the comic strip. So I embraced it. We had a ball getting us started. <laughs> I bet. And I have one final question, which is looking into the future of comics, you know, newspapers are maybe losing popularity and the internet is coming and just making huge, huge deals. So what do you think the future for comic strips are? Uh, do, you, do you have the time to listen to this? Yes, <laughs> 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 opened a, a whole chapter of questions and a few answers that we have. All the cartoonists are getting together, we're all the time talking about that exact thing. What can we do with an analog product in a digital age? Certainly an analog cat like Garfield. Two things. One, the yes, papers, uh, there's less paper circulation today. The papers aren't in as dire straits as the media led on a few years ago when a few very large papers closed their doors because, frankly, those papers were over-leveraged. They'd been bought and sold so many times that their worth was such that advertising revenues couldn't support them any longer. There are still a lot of regional, local newspapers that run local news, and they're doing just fine with the advertising on their pages. They've also gone online as well. And they get a little bit of revenue from, you know, the online subscriptions, but they're doing okay. Now, you're right. The future is definitely online. Fortunately, we're in a honeymoon right now where people expect to see the same kind of comic strip on a web page as they do on a newspaper page. So the three-frame Garfield strip is working just fine. We have... Uh, and also Garfield's sentiments seem to resonate with the readers as well. We have over uh, 13 and a half million likes on Facebook. Oh, wow. And it's, oh, my uh, gosh. It's growing at over a million a month now. It's picking up pace oh, because wow. every Monday we hate Monday. Every Friday we love the weekend. <laughs> and people <laughs> love those and they love to take the memes. They're called where it's good one-liner, you know, hang in there, the weekend's coming, things like that. And they love to share them. So, so Garfield's, he's actually rocking and rolling online, which is very pleasing because I wasn't quite sure how he'd be accepted by, you know, the new generation who've grown up. We call them digital residents. They were born <laughs> with the internet as opposed to yeah. we digital immigrants <laughs> who are just visiting, you know, the internet. So uh, at any rate, to date, Garfield's been very well received because you know what? People still eat and sleep underneath, even though this is 2014, uh, we're all made the same. And we like to laugh. And so I find that uh, assuring. Hopefully, uh, I get a feeling, of, you know, good job security, even in a digital age. <laughs> definitely. Thank you so much. Garfield definitely has a popular and successful future wherever comic strips go. Well, thank you, Victoria. It's nice of you to say. Say hi to your dad, Victoria. Oh, uh, I will. I forgot to mention that he told me you grew up with David Letterman. 
David and I, we talk very rarely, but now and then we get together and chat. We were friends in college, so we had a lot of fun together. Oh, really? Yeah. You guys uh, went to college together? Yeah. Oh yeah. Now David lives <laughs> for over from me. I used to catch his stand-up comedy over at the Sigma Chi house. He was, what was funny was he'd come over. He had seen a couple of my stand-up routines. I fancied myself a comedian until I saw David. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? If I can't be funnier than some guy at Ball State, two doors over, I have no business trying to become a professional stand-up comedian. Of course, little did I know, he was like really, really, really good. <laughs> I bet yeah. the thing was, in those days, he was doing the same stuff, and but it was before its time. I slipped into the back of one of his Sigma Chi parties. I wasn't a Sigma Chi, but I slipped in the back to watch him. And he stood up front, he puts his hand up, and he goes, be honest now. And uh, people started giggling. I'm going, what? And he goes, how many of you are having the time of your life? Now they're laughing. I'm like, I'm not getting it. He goes, oh, boy, I know I am. <laughs> now they're <screaming. laughs> And then he said, this is more fun than an adult ought to have. Now they're on the floor. And I'm standing. This is back when comedy was very broad. You know, you did shtick and stuff. And he's standing there just being bored and killing him. And it hit me. It wasn't. The joke, it was his attitude that was very, very hip. Of course, it was cool to be bored with stuff, you know, And but he nailed it. And so I think, you know, way watching David, you know, helped influence uh, the humor as well. Garfield's got that kind of, you know, resents authority, bored, you know, nothing impresses him. And it's, it's a hip. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. I would have had no idea. <laughs> yeah, he's a neat guy. So. Thanks, Victoria. Thank you, Mr. Jim Davis, for allowing me to interview you. I really enjoyed finding out Garfield's many secrets. It's a ton of work producing a comic strip every day. Before I say goodbye, it's time for the charitable note of the day. This past week, my boyfriend and I visited one of the Bully Project locations here in New York City. We went to take pictures and socialize with five of the seven dwarfs. The dwarfs are these young Pitbull mix puppies that they recently adopted. Like I said before, there are seven of them, all named after the seven dwarves. Sleepy, happy, sneezy, grumpy, bashful, dopey, and dot. Some are chestnut brown with white markings, and others are brindles with white markings. We witnessed Bashful, now Wesley, getting adopted, which was an amazing moment. There are still six more waiting for their forever homes. To see some of the pictures we took that day, to find out more information, or to adopt one of these six Pitbull puppies, like them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash bullyproject, or visit their website at www.bullyproject.org. So that concludes today's show. Thanks for listening and see you next time when I'll bring you another fun and exciting tale of the city. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.